Welcome to the Misha All Access Podcast. We are finishing up our series on transitions. We talked a little bit about our retiring assistant executive directors and the jobs that we have posted right now in late 2022 and early 2023 to work for the executive staff in the MISHA office. And we've been also talking with our retiring assistant executive directors. We've heard from Devney Davis. We've heard from Greg Stahl. And today we get to talk with retiring, soon to be retiring next summer, assistant executive director, Kenny Seifert. Kenny, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here, Jen, as always. All right. So we're going to start by you just kind of talking about how did you get here? What's your path? How did you decide this is what you wanted to do? You know, I'm sure everyone has their own story, right? I mean, that's how people's lives are built. But my story really goes back to uh, I was afforded an opportunity to be an assistant basketball coach at the junior college that I played at in Louisville, Kentucky. Coach Dave Skinner contacted me, gave me the opportunity because prior to that, I actually did not go into the field of education. So that was a surprise, and it really is kind of what set me on this path. I spent eight years, combination of being an assistant coach and the head coach at the junior college that I played at. And then in 1995, I was given the opportunity to be the head basketball coach at Moberly Area Community College. I did that from 1995 to 2001. In 2001, again, I was afforded another opportunity to go to the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga as an assistant basketball coach. Did that for one year and then moved back right back to Morberley one year after I left. And for the next 14 years, I served as the athletic director at Morberley High School. During that time, I became a registered MISHA official that eventually morphed into also being a small college NCAA NAIA basketball official. And in Lucky in 2016, the position came open as assistant executive director with MISHA. And I applied for the job and, and was given that opportunity. So that's kind of the path that got me to where I am today. You get this offer to be an assistant basketball coach at the junior college where you played, and you weren't in education before. So how did you choose what you were doing before, and why did you stay in basketball coaching, education, athletics? What was it that made you stick in that career? First of all, yes, I was scared to death when I got hired in that job because I really did not have the background and the training that gave me the confidence to step into that position and be successful. We all make decisions when we're younger that we look back and go either that worked out really, really well and I got lucky or it didn't work out so good. Based upon the schools that I was going to, the colleges and the fact I was playing basketball, I was kind of limited in my choices of my academic curricular. The two schools that I went to really did not have education as a basis for what they offered. And so I just kind of followed the path of what the curriculum allowed me to, which was basically business administration and management. The ironic part of that is right after I got out of college and I started working my first job, I probably worked that job for three or four months. And when when the wintertime came around, I realized how much I missed the one thing that I loved more than anything, and that was playing basketball or being involved with basketball. And I let my college coach know that. And so later that year, when he lost one of his assistant coaches, he reached out to me and wanted to know if I was still interested in doing that. So that was a huge change. I talk about a 90-degree right turn. That was a 90-degree right turn. 23 years old, and not only was I coaching, but I had to step in the classroom and teach a full day every day of accounting courses, which was also part of my major. So scared, yes, but I think those are sometimes the greatest opportunities that we have in our lives. So why'd you stay? You know, you were eight years at that junior college. You had other coaching opportunities. And when things didn't work out at the University of Chattanooga, you come back to Moberly, Missouri, and start working for high school. 
How did that happen? You know, I've always said high school is the last innocence of competition. It's what you and I believe in, and it's what our state believes in, in the Mish office. And so I was never very far removed from that, but it was an opportunity to get back to that. Not only do I love basketball, but I love all sports. And I have three children, and they were actively involved in sports. So what an opportunity for me to not only be involved in a broader spectrum than just being involved with basketball, but also having the opportunity to watch my children play while I was getting paid to do it. Standing there in the gym, standing there on the side of the soccer field, I'm being paid to supervise, and I'll get to watch my kids play. So it was a perfect fit at that particular time. Sometimes things run their course. And in junior college basketball coaching, I felt like it had ran its course with me. And I was ready for a new landscape, a new scenery. And being the athletic director of Morbidly High School gave me that opportunity. So you moved to the Misha office. And tell us what you do, or you don't have to get into all the details, but what is it you do with Misha? One of the biggest things that I do with Misha, and probably my primary purpose when I came there, was to really get involved and engaged with the officials program. We all know that that is currently an area where we struggle with numbers. It's also an area of sports that gets scrutinized a lot. And so it was an opportunity for me to do something to make it better for everyone, whether we're talking about better for the officials, which is very important to me. But also when they perform better, that makes it better for the kids that are playing the game and it makes it better for the coaches that are coaching the game and it makes better for the administrators in the school communities. So that really is one of my primary purposes. In addition to that, I was also afforded the opportunity to run the tennis championships, the girls in the fall, the boys in the spring. And that has been an absolute blessing and a lot of fun. So really those two things is, is my primary purpose at this time. So what would you say is the main difference between being high school athletic director and a member of the Misha executive staff? Wow, that's a great question. You know, when you're the high school athletic director, the things that you really focus on is, is supporting your coaches because you know that if, if your coaches are supported and they have the things that they need, that eventually is going to trickle down to giving the kids the best that they can get. And so I truly believe that I really, really needed to support the coaches. But you also have your school community and your school community has a lot of opinions but your focus is really your school and your program and your coaches and your kids and how well they are doing. Then when you get to the Mish office, your view and your vision has to completely change because now you're not, you're not focusing on one school. You're focusing on about 585 of them. And you want to be fair and consistent. And you want them to know that the Mish office is there to support them and give them all the tools that they need to be successful. So for the most part, your vision has to become so much broader than what it was because you have to be concerned for all. And, and that concern for all varies from schools with an enrollment of 2,200 students to a school that has an enrollment of 22 students, give or take. And so that becomes a little bit of a challenge, but you do have to broaden your vision. I'm going to take us back to your coaching days a little bit. We've talked with one of your former players. Oh, boy. And I'm going to play a few clips here for you from this gentleman. And I want to kind of give you a chance to hear what he has to say. Yes. Yeah, so what happened was it was a coach that I've been on for, well, in high school named Kerry Stovall. And Kerry Stovall and Kenny Pfeiffer were good friends. And so I was an undersized guy, but Kerry Stovall knew my work ethic and knew my work ethic matched what Kenny Seifert wanted in a player. And the thing about it is what made Kenny Seifert so well for me and helped my life, he was always super honest, whether it was good or bad, he was super honest with me. And so the thing that I need to work on as a, a student athlete 
he would tell me those things and that helped me have a successful career at Motor Air Community College. But I was not one of those guys that was highly recruited, but he just seen a skill set in me. Of course, he told me some things I need to work on, but I listened to everything he said and it definitely helped me to meet my goals of being a Division One basketball player and later playing professional basketball as well. I never had a big brother, right? But Kenny Seifert would be on me heavy all the time. And so I always wanted a big brother, but it was one situation where I had just became a junior college preseason All-American. And Kenny Seifert was just yelling at me every practice, getting on my butt. I'm like, I thought like I was one of the best players on the team, but he made me feel like I was the worst player on the team at this time. And I'm really like, coach, I mean, I had to go into his office and say, coach, like, what am I really doing wrong? Is it something like you don't like me anymore? What is it, coach? And he says to me, he said, you're my best player on the team. And if I set a standard for you to be the best, and I'm yelling at you, the other players know to get in line and they got to do better. So if I'm pushing you to be your best the whole time, that makes them even more so work harder. So that day going forward, I, I didn't take it so personal. And he taught me how to not to take that personal. It was just from a team aspect. So he gave me a, a butt chewing every day <laughs> real hard, but I, I was taking it personal. He was like, it's not personal. I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to your teammates to have them to get in line. And you can take it. That was very special that he did that with me and, and taught me how to be able to take that criticism and not to take it so personal. He always talks about we were playing the number one team in the nation, Indian Hills, and they were the number one team in junior college, Division One junior college. And they had a player named Pete Michael. He ended up playing for the New York Knicks. I'm the leader of the MAC team, and then this guy's somewhat getting the best of me. And Coach Cypher says, are you going to block him out? Can you block him out? You know, just kind of getting on to me. I was like, Coach, he's so fast, I can't find him, you know, instead of getting on my behind or because I was brutally honest. He strategizes the team how to make sure this guy don't get offensive rebounds. We end up actually winning the game with Cyber coming up with, and this is 1997, right? So it's been a while ago. I don't remember exactly what we did, but me being extremely honest with him, he was able to come up with a coaching plan for us to win that game. I was, in my family, I'm the first to graduate high school, right? And so my dad was born in 1940. My mom was born in 1958. Neither one of them graduated high school. They ended up later getting their high school diploma, but never graduated high school. And saying that no one could help me with my schoolwork after third grade, right? And so I went to junior college, and I didn't score very high on my ACT. Almost embarrassing to talk about it now. But it's saying that I was able to get a associate's there at Mac and then also get my bachelor's degree to where I've held several jobs in administration and things of that nature where I would never would have held those jobs. And I'm being so honest with you, I probably wouldn't have graduated at Mac if I would, wouldn't have got King Seifert in, into my life and taught me how <laughs> things are supposed to go 
And I mean, he made sure I was in class. I mean, I seen him cut guys off. I mean, great basketball players. He would not let be on the team if they weren't going to class. And very few coaches do that. I mean, his winning percentage could be way better than what it was. It's actually a guy that had more, way more potential than I did that was saying from the same state that I was from. He let go. And the only reason because he wouldn't go to class. And you don't see coaches do that. And I have mad respect for Kenny Seifert. Uh, definitely super influential in my life and my career. That's my man. I love him to death. He, he really changed the trajectory of my life, and I appreciate him for that. I look back now and realize he was like 34, 35 when he was coaching me. He would make sure that my car had a oil change so I could make it six hours home. And he made sure that I got all the way home to Kentucky because he promised his, my mom and my dad that he would make sure that I graduate and he would take care of me. I have so much love for that man. It, 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 it's unreal. You know who that was? Little, yeah. We uh, <laughs> we spent some time together. Uh huh. Future Harlem Globetrotter. Harlem Globetrotter was a junior college All American, and in all honesty, was. And this is not a discredit to anyone else that I coached in all those years, but when I got to Mulberry, that program was struggling, had been struggling for years and years. He was the kid. He was the player. I call him a kid. CJ's still a kid to me. I know he's a grown man, but he's a kid to me because when I coached him, he was a kid. But he embodied all of the things that I knew that we needed in that program and that what I wanted in my teams moving forward. And so whether we're talking about his basketball skill, which was really, really good, more than that, though, was was his charisma, his character, his ability to reach people, whether that was his teammates, myself, our community. Wow. He was a good one and a special kid. So you've got this degree in business and somebody asks you to assistant coach and you think, cool, basketball. I love basketball. Easy. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and fast forward and you know you had an impact on CJ's yes. life. But to hear him talk about it, how does that fit within the, you talked about going back to high school and that was purposeful. But did you really know what you were doing? I don't think you ever really know until you hear things like that. But anyone who coaches you are faced with multiple decisions every day, all day long, all the time. And you have to decide where you're going to stand and what you expect out of your program. It's very common to look around while you're competing against other programs and question whether what you're doing is right or whether what you're doing is wrong. We're all faced with cutting corners, understanding what the rules are. But hey, I've got some programs over here who are not abiding by those rules that seem to be gaining an advantage on my program. And that's when you're faced with the decision. What am I going to do? Am I going to jade those rules so that it puts me on the level playing field? Or am I going to stick to what the rules are and what my expectations are? Because I think in the long haul, and I think that's the key right there, in the long haul, all of the kids who played for me are going to be better for it. Winning or losing comes and goes. 40 years after you're done coaching, people really don't care what your record was. They really don't remember you. And so my philosophy is always what I'm going to do is what I feel is best for not only my players in my program at this time, but what is best for them when they are 45 years old and they are a parent or they are a husband or a wife or when they're 60 years old, what kind of a grandparent are they? What type of an employee are they going to be for someone when they have a job? I guess that's probably why I smile when I hear him say that, because maybe now you realize that the impact that you had was what you wanted. 
Did you give that up going to the mission office? No, I don't think so. I think maybe you give a little bit of it up, but I think when you go to the mission office, you are now touching more people's lives, but maybe not quite as personal as what it was when you were the player and the coach. More specifically, the relationship that I have with so many of our sports officials, that relationship kind of intertwines and is based upon the same basis as what it is with a player and a coach. You're trying to provide them with information that allows them to be better. You're trying to give them support so that they can be successful. And you set expectations on what it is that you want. And when you get that message across, you develop relationships, no different than my relationship with CJ and his with me. And so I just think you have an opportunity to touch many, many more people because you're, again, dealing with a broader spectrum. You have always been one who you light up a room when you come in. (laughs) You talked about CJ's charisma and personality. That's what you have. Your work, especially with the officials, has made them feel like they matter to the association, to the schools, to the coaches, and to you. We talked a little bit about your impact on individual players and, you know, when you're an AD, working with coaches and those things. But the work you've done in the last seven years with the Misha office, helping those officials, just raising the level of really value and importance and relevance. They feel like they're part of the whole thing now. And probably they have in the past, but you've just enhanced that. And then, you know, I get to go and see you at the tennis championships. Had you ever played tennis in your life? I'm embarrassed to say, but I played my sister three times when I was in high school and she was out of high school. That didn't go so well. (laughs) I thought I could play when I watched it on TV, but the first time I stepped on the court, I realized this is not as easy as what it looks like on TV. But in all honesty, I have never played organized tennis, but I did always enjoy watching tennis. And my tennis days would go back to, you know, watching the the Rod Labors and and Bowen Borgs and some of those people. So that's, that's pretty dated, but love the sport, got a lot of respect for it. The point is that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter. You love the people. You love people who have a passion for something. You love what coaches give to kids. You love opportunities for kids. We've got people who come down and help with those tennis championships every single fall and spring. They do it for next to nothing. And again, you make them feel loved and valued and that you appreciate what they give to something that they love. Right. And, you know, seeing these kids, knowing the season they've had, knowing for many of those kids, you know, those girls and boys who are, you know, they're playing on the, the summer circuit and the winter circuit and all that kind of stuff. And then yet they play in these regional tournaments with really good players, yet the state championships are really special to them. And part of the, what makes it special is there's somebody at the helm who's making it mean something. And it's just in your presence. The way you speak with them, the excitement you bring, your positive attitude, we're going to get this done and we're going to, you know, just congratulations for being here. And it's just important, I think, that everyone hears that we're not just a bunch of sports heads. We like sports. (laughs) Absolutely. But relationships and impact, you talked about that impact and, and the impact on your players and the impact on the officials, but people matter. And that's what this whole business is all about. And you're just one of the best. And we're going to miss you a lot in your role in the mission office. But what are you going to do when you're done? In the infamous words of Don Maurer, whatever I want to do. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a pretty nice concept. It is a great concept. And and I'm going to go back and touch a little bit something on what you just said. You can't fake those feelings. When you do what we do, you have to be genuine 
It has to really come from the heart. You cannot fake it because if you try that process, people are going to read between the lines. So when you talk about the relationship with the officials, the relationship with all of my tennis people, whether we're talking about our tennis officials, our coaches and our kids, which, by the way, that's a great event that we run the tennis championships. But it's genuine. I really enjoy being around those people. And I really enjoy probably more than that, seeing those people enjoy what it is that they're doing. And I think anytime you can be genuine and people feel valued and people feel like what they are doing is recognized, gives them value. And so it's always been easy for me because I like to see people have success. And I really like seeing people be in their world, enjoying what it is that they do. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap this up here. We appreciate you talking with us and everything you've given to to the Missouri State High School Activities Association, to Moberly High School, to the sport of basketball, to officiating on the high school and college level, and just being a good human being. We appreciate that. So we want to thank you for listening to the Misha All Access podcast. This has been Dr. Jennifer Ruckstad, Executive Director of the Missouri State High School Activities Association with Assistant Executive Director, retiring in the summer 2023, Kenny Seifert. We are wrapping up this series and we'll move on to another one soon. So thank you all for listening.